Well, let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, this word through the gospel of Mark. We pray that you would open this gospel to us, that we might learn of Jesus, who he is, the uniqueness of him, and that in learning of him, we might worship and adore him. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there can be no debate that the church in the Western world has lost its once privileged place in our culture. Decline in belief in God and church attendance have been commonplace for decades. And in response, many have offered their own reasons and solutions to this problem. Some say the problem is that the church is no longer relevant. It doesn't speak to the issues of the day. Others say that church teaching is outdated and needs to be revised to line up with modern morality. Some find a solution in ignoring major portions of the Bible, those that are deemed less palatable or downplaying it altogether in favor of uh, other topics and other teachings. Others propose that the solution is knocking the dust off the church and bringing it into the modern age with clever social media strategies and entertaining worship services. But these arguments misdiagnose the problem, and these solutions won't solve the real problem that the church faces. It's a problem that began in the church and has filtered out to society at large. The problem is a lack of confidence in the gospel. Many have lost what it means to be a people who believe in the gospel because we've lost the one at the center of the gospel. We watered down the message of scripture so much that it's become a series of just nice moral teachings whose purpose is to give us a pleasant life. In reality, though, the gospel isn't about those things. The gospel is about Jesus Christ. And the church, deep down, has lost confidence in who Jesus is and why he came, and that needs to change. Because without Jesus, the church is just a group of people singing some songs on Sunday morning. It's, it's a social club or a, a self-help group. Now, because of this challenge, we're going to spend the next few months walking through the gospel of Mark. Mark's gospel is focused entirely upon Jesus, showing who he is through what he does. It's a gospel of constant movement and action, and its whole point is to reveal Jesus to us. Mark shows us throughout his gospel, from start to finish, that Jesus is God's servant king come to redeem the world. And today we start at the beginning. And in the first chapter, we see that Mark presents Jesus himself as the gospel. The good news come in the flesh. We see that Jesus is the son we could never be, who has come to do the work that we could never do and is the Savior that we all need. 
Now, the remarkable thing is that we can get all of what I just said, all three of those points that we're going to look at today, we can get all of that from just the first verse. It's not all we're going to look at, but we're going to keep coming back to that verse. So you might want to have it open in front of you. How do we see that Jesus is the son we could never be? Well, at first it seems rather obvious, right? The end of verse 1 declares that Jesus is the son of God. And in verse 11, after Jesus comes up out of the waters of baptism, God the Father declares Jesus to be his son. So that's the end of the matter, right? That's, that's pretty clear. Well, there's more to it than that. There's more going on here. As remarkable as these pronouncements are, we could walk away thinking that that Jesus actually wasn't really unique. Some have argued that Jesus is given the title of Son of God because he is the representative of humanity and he came to show that we're all sons and daughters of God. In this view, Jesus isn't the unique Son of God, but a sort of a first among equals. The problem, though, is that's just not consistent with what scripture teaches about Jesus and what he says about himself. After all, the title that is given to him is not a son of God, as if he was one among many, but the son of God, the only unique son of God. Mark makes this even more clear. He says something that's actually mind-blowing for us. He, he shows the uniqueness of Jesus in verse 3. He's quoting from Isaiah 40, and he says, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Now, this was the ministry given to John the Baptist, and it is revealing of who Jesus is. You see, in the passage from Isaiah, when, when Isaiah is speaking of the Lord, he's referring to God. The title given to God in Isaiah, Mark is now taking and giving to Jesus. Mark is telling us that Jesus is the Lord. It's not that God and Jesus share lordship, but that Jesus is the Lord. He is God come in the flesh. God revealing himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And so he is greater than anyone who has come before or since because he alone is the unique son of God and he alone is God come in the flesh. Now we actually even have more <laughs> to bring out the uniqueness and greatness of Jesus in this passage. John the Baptist does this for us in verse 7. He says, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. Well, in that time and place, untying sandals was the work of a slave. John is saying he's not worthy even to be Jesus's slave. That is how much greater Jesus is than John. Now, that's a pretty amazing statement given the popularity and the following that John had at that time. After all, we're told in verse 5 that all the country of Judea and Jerusalem were coming to John to be baptized. Waves of people were coming to John and he's saying to them, I'm nothing compared to the one who is coming. And if you know the rest of John's story, this statement is all the more remarkable. In both Matthew's and Luke's Gospels, 
Jesus said that John was the greatest person that ever lived apart from Jesus himself. Matthew 11, 11, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, among those who are born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. And yet here is John saying, don't look to me. Look to the one who is coming. He is far greater, far more important, far more worthy of adoration. It's just further evidence of the uniqueness of Jesus, that he is the son that we could never be, even the greatest among us. Say, look to him. That's crucial for us to understand because from the very first verse of the gospel, Mark tells us that Jesus is the whole thing. Jesus is the gospel. In the ancient world, a gospel, good news, was a pronouncement of a life-changing moment. It was the announcement that something world-changing had happened. Jesus' coming is just that. It is something world and life changing. It is good news because the one who has come is the Son of God. Now to lose that, to strip him of his uniqueness and his divinity, to, to diminish Jesus by labeling him as simply being a really good person, is to lose the whole gospel. It's to lose everything. Now listen, you can believe that Jesus was just a really good person. You're, you're allowed to believe that, but you're not allowed to believe that and then claim the title Christian, at least not rightly, because that is simply not what Christians believe. That is not what Christianity states. That might sound harsh to some of us, but the truth is it's far worse to walk around thinking we can deny a central biblical claim about Jesus and still be in good standing with him. That's just not true. Mark shows us from the outset that Jesus is the unique divine son of God. And so to deny that is to deny Jesus. Second thing we're going to look at today. As the son of God, Jesus came to accomplish a work that we could never do. See this? We're going to start again in verse 1. We read the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, this is the title of Mark's gospel, to be sure, but it's, it's also far more than that. And we get that from the word beginning. The Greek word here is arche. It carries the meaning of sequence, to be sure. That, that is definitely one of the meanings. But it also carries the meaning of origin, of purpose, by using this word, Mark is teaching us that the gospel finds its beginning in Jesus. Jesus has brought about the time of God's redemption. New Testament scholar James Edwards writes that, For Mark, the introduction of Jesus is no less momentous than the creation of the world. For in Jesus, a new creation is at hand. The time of God's redemptive purpose has truly come in the person of Jesus. It finds its beginning in him. It's a work that only he could do. Only he could bring the gospel. And just as we've been saying, this ties the gospel to Jesus. 
Again, Edwards is helpful to us. He writes that the gospel is more than a set of truths or even a set of beliefs. It is a person. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The kingdom that God inaugurates is bodily present in Jesus of Nazareth. The gospel is something that Jesus and Jesus alone could bring to the world. Because in reality, he is the gospel. Now, not only does Jesus bring the gospel, he also lives it out perfectly. By living the perfect, sinless life. Something we could never do. Look at verse 12. After his baptism, Jesus is driven into the wilderness, or we could translate it, the desert. And there he is tempted by Satan for 40 days. Now, if you know your Bible, 40 days in the desert should sound pretty familiar to us. What should come to mind is the 40 years that Israel spent in the desert waiting to enter the promised land. If you were to go and read about those years, what becomes obvious is the people's constant failure. They are constantly sinning against God. In the face of temptation, they are constantly questioning God's goodness, his love, and his power. Even to the point of wishing they never left slavery in Egypt. Now, Mark himself has little to tell us about Jesus' time in the desert, but we know from the other gospel accounts that Jesus faced temptation but did not sin. He did not bend or break. He looked Satan in the face, and he remained perfectly faithful. Mark is presenting Jesus in contrast to Israel, where the people were faithless, Jesus remained faithful. Where the people sinned against God, Jesus was sinless. He did what Israel and what all people never could. He lived in perfect obedience to God. He's utterly unique. And Mark shows us that he's the Savior we all need. Verse 3, Mark quotes Isaiah's words about the way of the Lord. Now, the way is a theme that Mark will come back to throughout his gospel. He, he keeps going back to these words and unpacking what it means throughout his entire gospel. And remember, as we talk about this, the title that Mark was giving to Jesus, the title that God alone had, the Lord, the way of the Lord, Mark is subtly showing us then, is the way of Jesus. It's following a person. Mark is subtly establishing and will continue to unpack throughout the gospel that following Jesus means following the way of God, following the way of the Lord, that Jesus' coming is about a way of salvation, a way of knowing and being in relationship with the Lord, and that's found in following Jesus, following his way. Now, we want to be clear because when we use the word following him, following his way, we, we can start to think that following Jesus, believing in him is about keeping all the rules, right? Or um, just, just being a good person, being, being the person that, that, that Jesus would, would want me to be. It's all about the things I do. 
The challenge with that, though, is that ultimately it makes the gospel about us and what we're doing. But, but Jesus himself is the gospel. And so following him, following the way of the Lord, is about having faith in Jesus. All the other things that we do come out of that. The faith is first. The grace is first. To make, the, to make following Jesus about what we do is to put the, the cart before the horse. And John the Baptist actually makes this more clear for us in his pronouncement about Jesus. In, in verse 8, John tells us that Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Now, why does that matter? What we know from scripture that the Holy Spirit is the giver of life. In John 3, Jesus tells Nicodemus that to enter the kingdom of God, one must be born of water and the Spirit. In order to enter the kingdom of God, in order to enter into God's presence, we must be reborn by receiving the Holy Spirit. And in order to receive the Holy Spirit, we must come to Jesus. He is the one through whom the Holy Spirit comes. And so to be reborn, to enter into the new creation that Jesus brings, we have to come to him. Him and him alone. He is the bringer of new life, the bringer of salvation. He brings about the gospel age, the time of God's redemptive purposes. And so if we are to be redeemed, we have to come to Jesus. Redemption, justification, salvation, sanctification, assurance, none of that is something that we can do or give to ourselves. Jesus is the one who uniquely offers and gives these things. He is the maker of the way. And so it's not about following the rules or having the perfect morals or perfect practices or perfect philosophy or the, the, just the right amount of charitable actions or giving. It's about Jesus. It's about faith in him by the grace that he offers. Now, maybe at this point you're thinking, well, well why do I actually need Jesus? What is it that I actually need to be saved from well let's look at the passage mark tells us that john was baptizing people with a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins and that all people were coming to him and confessing their sins what's being brought out here is the universal nature of sin john's proclamation in verse 4 is that all need forgiveness and his baptism is a foretaste of the new life, the forgiveness of sins that is offered once for all in Jesus. It is through Christ that our sins are ultimately forgiven and we are made right with God. And the gift of the Holy Spirit, which we've just been talking about, who comes through Jesus, is the guarantee of that. From the outset of his gospel. Mark is making it clear to us that we need to be crystal clear on Jesus because he is uniquely the son of God. He alone does the work we could never do, and he alone is the savior we need. And so the question we should have in our minds as we begin our trek through the gospel of Mark is the very question that Jesus will ask his disciples in chapter 9. Who do you say that I am? As we begin looking at the gospel, who do we believe that Jesus is? 
Because Mark tells us that everything hinges on Jesus. You know, over the years, I've had many conversations with people who can't stop talking about God. How much they love God, how strong their faith in God is. They've got a million posts on their Facebook page about God. But what becomes clear when you start scratching beneath the surface a little bit is that they don't know Jesus. They've built their faith around the idea of God. And so life and salvation are about doing good things and being a a happy person with a, a positive attitude. And that is often supplemented by just a stellar and absolutely impeccable church attendance record. But never once do you hear them talk about Jesus. They won't utter his name. Because Jesus doesn't fit that model of belief. See, we want a generic God, a God who who won't really make demands on my life. We we want a God who just wants me to feel good and and be happy, who's far off, who can we can kind of bring into our lives when things might be be a little challenging, but ultimately is separated from us. We don't want Jesus. <laughs> But the truth is that that generic God, that's not the God of the Bible. That, that is not the God of Christianity. That God is utterly powerless because that God is an idol. Jesus is truly God. He is truly unique. We try so desperately to find life and meaning in all the things of this world and even, even the good things. Even, even Christian things, and yet we do so without ever having our eyes and our hearts fixed upon Jesus. Jesus is the unique Son of God who alone does the work that we could never do and alone saves. So what do we believe about Jesus? Don't give me your spiritual resume or how many years you've been giving to and attending a particular church. Do you love the one the church points to? Do you love the one that scripture reveals? Do you love the one that that Mark writes about? What do you believe about Jesus? As important as that question is, for us as individual believers, it's just as important to us as a church. I've been reading a lot lately uh, about what the, the church is apparently going to look like in a post-COVID-19 world. There's a ton of articles out there talking about this, and everyone's throwing out their ideas, ranging from the genuinely helpful to the genuinely nutty. <laughs> and the truth is, I don't know exactly what the church is going to look like in the days to come. But I do know this. If we are not a church that is completely captured by the grace of Jesus Christ, if we are not a church that loves Jesus as the unique, saving, redeeming Son of God, then we are no church at all. 
If we place our hope and our trust in anything other than him, we are wasting our time. We could have the best social media strategy and the best small group ministry and be the most welcoming church in the world and even have the world's best church coffee. None of it will matter. None of it will make us who we are called to be. And far worse, we might actually lead people astray because we'd be buying into the lie that the gospel is about what we do. Regardless of our circumstances, we must be a church that exists to praise and proclaim Jesus Christ. We must be a church that has Jesus at the center of our lives together and be filled with an overwhelming desire to worship him and see more people come to know him. That is why the church exists. That is why St. Aidan's exists. And so we must, as individuals and as a church together, be able to answer the question, who is Jesus? What do we believe about him? And that is why we're going to be spending these next few months in the Gospel of Mark. Because having Jesus at the center of our lives, at the center of our church, seeing him and knowing him and loving him as gospel come in the flesh, that is where true life is found, friends. And take heart. Because if by his grace we know Jesus, if we love Jesus, there is great cause for hope and peace and life and assurance because one who is greater than all others has come. God himself has come in the flesh to live and die and rise as the unique son of God, to do the work we can never do ourselves and to be the unique, the only, the true savior of the world. What do we believe about Jesus? Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the gift of your son. We thank you for sending Jesus, for the gift that he is, that true life is found in him. Would you help us to worship him and know him as your true and only son? Come to save and redeem us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.